You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen. Well, let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Ask God that you would come and speak by the power of your spirit, that you would remove anything that would hinder us from hearing from you. Ask that you would remove anything that would hinder us from being set free by you. I pray that you would come and speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit, a word of transformation, a word of hope, a word of comfort, a word of rebuke, a word of correction. That you would do that and then some help us to magnify and exalt the work of Jesus at the cross in the empty tomb in the land of heaven. Trust that you'll do this and more. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. 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 Be seated. I'm going to start us off with a bit of a question this morning that you guys kind of think at the end of the right direction. Uh, I'm going to ask you this How many times a day? You find yourself longing for something different, right? Longing for something better. Wishing that things would just go back to the way that they used to be. Or wishing that your lot in life would change for the better. How often, during the day, do you find yourself in that place? If you think about it, this is a place of being homesick, right? It's a place of being homesick. And there's a myriad of ways that this, I think, shows up in our lives, right? Think about some of these circumstances that uh, might be for you. Marriage goes on tilt, or kids rebel, the car breaks down, or the finances don't stretch, um, the political party doesn't get ahead or doesn't do what you want it to do. Sickness gets worse in your family, or your family member dies. These are all ways that you start thinking about, man, this isn't right. I wish things were different, right? There's a myriad of ways. There's discontentment. You could call this discontentment. Discontent with the way things are. You wish it was different. You wish it would go back, or you wish it would be different than it currently is. It's a kind of a discontentment, kind of a homesickness. There's two kinds of discontentment if you think about this. There's a holy kind of a discontentment, and there's an unholy kind of a discontentment, right? Tracking with me? Um, an unholy discontentment is kind of a desire for a better spouse. That's unholy. Uh, or it's a desire uh, for somebody else's achievements. You're, you're jealous over what they achieved. That's not holy. That's an unholy kind of a discontentment. Or maybe you uh, wish 
you were someone else. You find yourself comparing yourself to other people all the time, thinking, I just wish I was as handsome as he is, or I wish I was beautiful as she is. That's an unholy kind of a discontentment, an unholy kind of a longing. But there's also a, a, a holy kind of discontentment, right? Let's think about that categorically. You wish some kind of sickness would go away. It causes you to feel sad or angry because that sickness has not gone away yet or, or some physical ailment. Um, you, you long for the injustice that you see in the world to be made right. Those are good kinds of biblical holy discontentment. Maybe you get angry over the evil things that you see in the world. This is not wrong. This is a holy kind of a discontentment. It's looking at things and saying, I wish it wasn't this way. I know that there's a better plan in the future. And you long for that to take place now. So unholy discontentment, that, that's something that needs to be confessed often, right? You can't just pretend like that doesn't exist. The unholy discontentment that you deal with, that needs to be confessed, needs to be repented of. But the holy kind of discontentment, that kind of holy homesickness, you might call it, not being satisfied with the things of this world, a longing for heaven, that, that's a very godly thing that needs to be confessed as well because there's an encouraging thing that happens there as you do so. Really, a, a holy discontentment or, or, a, or a holy homesickness, as I'm calling it, um, that's something that every believer who is following Jesus um, is going to experience this side of heaven because this world is not our home. To, to be homesick this side of heaven, uh, this is to remember or, or to acknowledge a longing or, or a deep desire for things to be the way that God intended them. And I think this is exactly what Peter is envisioning when he's writing this letter, right? He's, remember, he's writing according to uh, verse 1. He's writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion. We talked about this quite a bit last week. They're, they're chosen, they're, they're, they're outsiders, and, and they're scattered, right? That's who he's writing to. And as he writes this letter... Um, I think his audience is literally wrestling with what it means to be the objects of God's affection, right? They, they, they know that they are God's chosen and adopted people, his children. They know they've been brought into the family by the, the work of Jesus at the cross in the empty tomb. They know that. And yet they are simultaneously a seemingly abandoned to all these out-of-the-way places where, where suffering and, and hardship and loneliness and oppression are literally marking their daily existence. And I think it's hard, I think it's hard for us to um, deal with the tension between those things. I belong to God, but I'm still experiencing all of this difficulty and all of this hardship. It shouldn't be this way, right? Because God loves me. He's merciful. He's gracious. He, 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 he's to keep me safe, but this doesn't feel so safe. I think Peter's audience, um, similar to us, um, simply homesick, right? They longed for home. 
They, they know that they're strangers, they're aliens, they're living in a land that does not belong to them. And I think they're struggling with questions about how to live as God's people in an ungodly culture under ungodly leadership. You looked at the themes of 1 Peter, and that's what you'll find Peter addressing all throughout. How, how do we live in an unholy culture under unholy leadership? And I think, I think, I think his hearers, his listeners, longed for things to be different. They longed for things to be better. They, they, they desired to go back to the glory days of the promised land. Right? I think they missed that. So let me ask this question. What is it that causes you to be homesick? What is it that grates on you throughout the week? When do you find yourself daydreaming about something better? What is it that causes you to want things to go back to the way that they used to be? What is it about your life that you wish would change for the better, right? Let's ask it this way. What is your picture of heaven? Oftentimes I would say, man, if I could just eat a steak tonight, it'd be like I was in heaven, right? So what is that for you? you? You say, man, if this would just happen, that would be just like heaven. All of my desires would be fulfilled, so to speak. And, and, and how do you live in the tension of not having what you want right now? Because I think there's a certain kind of a heaven that all of us wants, but we're not going to get it right now. So how do you live in that tension? In a way that honors God and loves people and is faithful to His Word, right? How? I want you to look at what Peter says. In these verses, first thing that I notice when I read this text is that we need to rise up and bless God when we feel homesick. Think about that. We need to rise up and bless God when we feel homesick. Isn't it one of the hardest things to do uh, when you're feeling homesick, when you're feeling like, man, this, what I'm living in right now sucks, right? Isn't it one of the hardest things to do in those moments is to rise up and bless God? Like, for me, it feels a lot easier to just live in this realm of self-pity, doubt, despair, you know, anger. Anybody here like to get angry? Anybody just turn on the news? Yes, there's one of us. You turn on the news lately and you just get ticked? Anybody? I'm just turning the news off because I get so angry when I turn it on. It It doesn't take much longer than like two or three minutes and I'm... I'm cussing. That's where I'm at. It's easier, I think, to feel those feelings um, in those moments. Peter, though, um, Peter, knowing that his his audience that he's writing to, um, he knows that they're struggling under the weight of things not being as they should be. So what does he do? He doesn't run up and be like, oh, let me pat you on the butt a little bit. It's going to be okay. And co- he doesn't, doesn't do any of that. No coddling. There's no, there's no entering into the list of atrocities. It's just simply rising up and bless, blessing God. And here's what he says. Listen to these words fresh. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why would he start there? Why would he start there instead of the list of problems? Because let's be honest, I mean, if we're honest, 
Blessing God is not the first thing that rises up out of our hearts when we face the pain and the suffering that this world brings along, right? What is it that comes up first in your mind or in your heart? Complaining, grumbling, arguing, fighting, blaming, shaming, guilt tripping. Those are the things that come up out of my heart pretty naturally. Those are the things that come out of my heart and my mouth when I experience the brokenness of the world that we're living in. I think this is exactly why the Apostle Peter begins here by rising up, blessing God in the midst of feeling homesick. Like, here's the thing, guys. We, we really have to, I mean, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think that we really have to, on a daily basis, make a determined and decided effort to rise up, bless God in our prayers of praise before we go spouting off at the mouth with all of our laundry lists of, of difficulties and sufferings and hardships. Now, maybe you're more of a kind of a naturally like bubbly person and the hardships in this life don't get at you very much. Um, but can I say that there's still an encouragement here for you that the question would be is, where are you finding that bubbly joyfulness at? Is it in rising up and blessing God in the midst of any circumstances, whether good or bad? Because true joy is not rooted in circumstances. True joy, the ability to bless God in the midst of any circumstances, is, is rooted in the person and work of God himself. You Check this out. Um, the Israelites. This is why the Israelites, um, this was a, a daily practice for them. This phrase, actually, this whole phrase was a daily practice. It wasn't a, it was a tradition or a religious thing that they did, like praying every day and reading the Bible every day, right? Um, this was something that they did every day. In fact, they would offer these exact words that, that Peter is saying here. He, they would offer them every day in prayerful worship to God. And here, listen to this, 18 times. 18 times 3. 18 times 3. Three different periods throughout the day they would pause and they would recite this phrase, Blessed be thou, O Lord, 18 times. So when you get out of the bed in the morning, 18 times, right on your wall. First thing you do with your mouth in the morning before you even brush them stanky teeth, Blessed be thou, O Lord, 18 times. Before you eat your lunch, blessed be thou, O Lord, 18 times. Before you eat your dinner or before you lay your head down on the pillow at night, blessed be thou, O Lord, 18 times. You know what that is? 18 times 3? We got numbers people in the room. Somebody tell me what that is. 54. 54 times a day they would utter the phrase, blessed be thou, O Lord. What is that? And this is what you call living your life in biblical offense, right? Rather than the kind of partisan offense that we see in our world today that has corrupted the church. This is the kind of a biblical offense that you would live in rather than living in some kind of defense against all that is unholy in this world. That's the first thing I see. Need to rise up and bless God when we are homesick. Second thing I notice, that we need to hold on to the anchor of living hope when we are homesick. We need to hold on to the anchor of living hope when we are 
homesick. I think for a minute about where you kind of anchor your soul to, okay? And when I think about the things that we anchor our hearts, our souls to, when, when, when we feel alone, when we feel desperate for things to change, what are those things that we anchor ourselves to? Money, fame, fortune, sex, accomplishments, relationships, security, comfort, power. The list goes on and on. We anchor ourselves to those things because we believe that somehow we're going to find a sense of security in them. See, homesickness has a funny way of creating an appetite inside of us, doesn't it? When you think about that feeling when you long for home or you, you long for things to be different than they are, it creates an appetite inside of us. When, when we realize that the things of this world are not as they should be, not as we wish they would be, then we hunger and we thirst for something that will satisfy our discomfort, right? It's just like when you cut your finger and you go looking for something to put on it to relieve the pain. Natural. Our natural instinct when we feel uncomfortable or discontent is to find something that will make that bad feeling go away. We hunger and we thirst for things to satisfy our discomfort or our discontentment. And oftentimes, we feed our appetite with things that we believe are going to make us feel better, like I just said a little bit ago, right? Money, power, fame, fortune, relationship, sex, control, comfort, so on and so forth. What is that for you? What is that thing that you love to feed yourself on? That maybe God wants to transform inside of you a little bit right now. And don't go trying to like eat the entire elephant in one bite, okay? You'll die. Nobody eats elephants in one bite. You know how you eat an elephant? One small little bite at a time. So find out what that elephant is inside of you. You keep feeding yourself on. And start taking one little bite out of it at a time by the power of the Spirit, right? See, the unhinged nature of the world that we live in right now and have always lived in because, I mean, the world's been unhinged since the garden, hasn't it? To be honest. You know, the, probably the problem for most of us is like, I can't believe things are the way that they are right now. It's like, really? You can't? Have you been to the Garden of Eden? Like, you think this is bad? <laughs> I, I think we get surprised by the sin that we see and the brokenness in our world right now. And it's kind of like, hey, how, how naive am I really to think that it's so bad right now and it's never been bad before? I mean... You do some biblical study on the, you know, some, some of what's happening to the churches during this time. I mean, they're getting hung up on lampposts burned in the middle of the night as lights. That's bad, okay? Now, sure, we don't want to go there. Like, none of us wants to be in that place, right? But there is kind of a guarantee from God that that's where we're headed to. And the guarantee in the back, midst of that bad news is that if you trust in him and belong in him, what's he going to do? He's going to bring you through. And you're going to spend the rest of eternity with him. That's what we look forward to. We don't look forward to a kingdom here on earth. Every time I get angry or feel discomfort here, oftentimes it's because I'm placing my trust. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting my security in, in the establishment of things on this earth. I just need to be reminded daily. I don't know about you. I need to be reminded daily that heaven, heaven's where I'm headed. Right? The unhinged nature 
of the world that we live in really forces us to evaluate things, doesn't it? When you look around, you see all the evil, the brokenness, you kind of got to evaluate what it is that you anchor your soul to, what you feed yourself on to find that sense of security or that sense of hope. And then the Apostle Peter here, he knows that there is only one great hope that is going to satisfy the deep longing inside of his his listeners. And this is why he reminds them in verse 3 that God in Christ Jesus, he's the only sustainable hope that we have. Why? Look at what he says. Because according to his great mercy, according to what? It's according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's only one sure and certain remedy for our homesickness. That only sure and certain remedy for our homesickness is the anchor of the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Because in the power of the resurrection, what does God do? God turns the exiles, the outsiders, their homesickness, our homesickness. In the resurrection of Jesus, God, by the power of the Spirit, turns our homesick grief into what rock solid hope a rock solid hope that is going to stand the test of eternity you see when you and i experience the grief that this broken world has to offer us yeah broken families broken economy broken politics whatever it may be when we experience the grief of those broken things the only thing that's going to keep us afloat on the windy seas of Doubt, despair, anger, depression, helplessness is what? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only anchor worth anchoring your soul and your heart to. Everything else is absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. It won't produce what you and I wish it would. The only thing we anchor our souls to is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in God's mercy, The tomb is empty, and because that tomb is empty, we have an eternal hope, eternal hope that will never let us down. This is why I say we need to anchor our souls to the living hope of Jesus Christ when we are homesick. Amen? Third thing that I notice in the text is that we need to remember our indescribable inheritance we need to remember our indescribable inheritance now think about that word indescribable what does that mean it means it's hard to describe right it's hard to describe because it's invisible our inheritance is invisible and here's the thing i think that it's really hard to stay focused on something that you can't see you think about the almost the oxymoron of those words stay focused on what you can't see I mean, focus is what happens with my glasses on. Right now, I can't focus on anything because I can't see Jack, right? Well, I, I think Jack's actually here somewhere. There is a Jack back there. <laughs> I can't see anything without my glasses on. It's hard to stay focused on something when you can't see it, and especially, especially when everything that you, that you can see looks really, really bad. You know what I mean? Like, when you got... Stuff that looks really, really bad, it's pretty easy to look at that and see that. When you can't see the good things that you're supposed to stay focused on. In those moments, 
It's easy to get angry, easy to get depressed, easy to get fearful, full of, of doubt. See, in, in those moments when I'm struggling to stay focused on what I cannot see, then I begin to long for a world where there's no more sickness, where there's no more hatred, where there's no more greed, no more abuse, no more sadness, no more sin. Like, in those moments, what happens is I'm getting homesick, right? I wonder in those moments, God, where are you in the midst of all this, right? All this ugliness that I can see right in front of me, where are you? I'm struggling to focus on the good, invisible things of heaven. Why? Because all of the horrifying, visible things of this earth are much easier to see and to focus on. They're right in front of me. So this is why, in verse 4, if you look back to verse 4, this is why I believe Peter reminds his readers that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow! Think about these words, right? They're so in, heaven is so indescribable, so hard to describe and define because it's invisible. The Peter here uses words that are just massive in meaning. He's saying that our hope is based upon the fact that our inheritance is never going to perish. It's never going to go away. The bank account is never going to be dry. When it comes to our inheritance, it's never going to become defiled, never going to be filthy, never going to be dirty, right? Uh, it's never going to fade off into darkness. It's never just going to fade to the background and go away and be a forgotten piece. Our inheritance cannot be destroyed. It cannot be polluted. It will never decay. That's the heaven that we look forward to. Think about it. When you look at all the bad things in this world right now, think about the invisible hope of heaven that we have. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You ask the question, what does heaven look like? I asked you earlier, what does your heaven look like? Right? What are you living for on this earth that you think is your heaven? Again, better marriage, better car, better paycheck, better politics, better whatever. I guarantee you it all fail. It's all going to go away. So what does your heaven look like? Here's the thing. Sometimes, and this happens awful lot in us as Christians, we get duped into settling for something. We settle for an image of heaven that is just simply the opposite of all that we see wrong in the world. Okay? Don't hear me wrong. There's, there's truth in that. Yes, true that heaven is the opposite of all that is wrong in this world but heaven is so much more than that how am i going to help you see this right that's the question if i'm going to make that statement how will i help you see that heaven is so much more than just the opposite of all the bad crap we see in this world heaven is more than the opposite of the brokenness of this world because heaven is wrapped up in the presence of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. Jesus is so much more. Jesus is so much bigger than just the mere opposite of all the broken things you see in this world. 
And that's why it's important for us to get a clear vision of Christ and who he is, man. He's, he's our hope. He's our hope in, in the face of, of all of the destructive, uh, uh, polluted, um, decaying world that's right in front of us. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect picture of what can never be destroyed. He's the perfect picture of what can never be polluted. He's the perfect picture of what can never decay. Our inheritance is not just merely um, uh, heaven. Our inheritance is not just merely a better place than earth. Our inheritance is Christ himself. Our inheritance is not a better political system. It's not a better spouse, not a better family, not a better house, not a better job, not a better group of friends, not a better church. Not a better anything other than the presence of Jesus himself. Because only Christ is going to stand the test of eternity as the only one who's never going to be destroyed, never be polluted, and never decay. So let me just ask you, when you think about back to your picture of heaven, how did you answer that question? I'm not trying to cast shame and guilt. I'm just trying to cast, hey, what would it look like for you to catch a vision of the crucified risen and returning Christ and then be so drawn into his presence so longing for more of him that that's what you that's what you hunger for it's what you thirst for more of Jesus give me more of you so that you might replace some of the things that you've been feeding your soul on the things that actually kill you and destroy you and pollute you we need to remember our indescribable inheritance when we are homesick fourth thing that I notice in the text is this. You need to trust in God. Duh. Right? You need to trust in God's unshakable promise when we're homesick. Just think about promises for a minute. Think about promises. If I'm going to tell you that you need to trust in God's unshakable promise when we're homesick, we better think about the nature of promises for a second at least, right? And I'll tell you, we're only scratching the surface here because there's a time frame, right? We're only scratching the surface here. I would encourage you, like when you go home today, take one of these principles and dig a little deeper in your word. Dig a little deeper in your own personal study. If you don't do that, if you don't feed yourself, right, throughout the week between Sundays, then what are you acting like? You're acting like a three-year-old who can't feed himself. Go home and feed yourself on these principles, Okay. I say that with as much love as I can, knowing that we all need that kick in the pants. Think about the nature of promises. Like in this world, it's hard to trust people. Anybody want to be with me on that one? I just love you more of us on that. Trusting people, man, that's... Like I always say, hey, man, I'll, I'll give you trust until you break it. Um, when you break trust with me, like you dump it out by the bucket, you put it back in by the teaspoon. That's true, most of us. Hard to trust people. Why? Because we, we survey a world around us that's full of broken contracts, don't we? Full of deception. Very, very rare to find somebody who says what they mean and means what they say. Integrity itself seems to be a very lost virtue in this world of broken promises. I find more often than not that the human condition is so warped with manipulation and control and power, we'll do anything we can. Integrity seems to be a very lost virtue in this world of broken promises, right? 
You got politicians lining their pockets with the gold of empty promises, don't you? Got uh, divorce courts filled up with the pain of unfulfilled promises. And let's be real. I mean, the, the statistics in the church are no different than they are outside the doors of this church in terms of divorce. Streets, streets over this last year have been littered with the outcome of really weak promises in the riots that we saw that kept erupting all over the country. Got church leaders all over the world, right? Making promises to leave entire congregations in shambles. I watched after one pastor after the next fell this last year in some kind of crazy scandal. Think about the power of a broken promise. How powerful is a broken promise? You think of one in your life? Somebody made a promise to you and then broke that promise horrendously and it's marked you today? Broken promises leave a mark on us. Like A, a broken promise ha has, has the power to ruin a person's day, if not ruin their entire week, or in some cases, ruin their entire lives, depending on who broke the promise and to what extent it was broken. I walk with people who have been abused badly by their spouse or by their parents. That's left a mark for their entire life that, may not be completely healed until they walk into heaven, right? Broken promise marks us, it wounds us. Think about the effects of uh, broken promises on these categories of your life. Think about the effects of a broken promise on your emotions, on your relationships, on your physical health, on your daily habits how you get out of bed in the morning and what you do throughout the day, broken promises affect those things. Think about how, how a broken promise affects your energy levels. It zaps you of strength, right? When you find out that somebody didn't stay true to what they said. That's the power of broken promises. At the end of the day, broken promises, I think, are, are, a, are, are a powerful little reminder that this world is not our home, right? Powerful reminder that everything is not as it should be. Everywhere you look in the world right now, everywhere you look, there's going to be another broken promise leaving you wishing for a better world, feeling, feeling the emotions of homesickness. I believe this is why Peter reminds his readers in verse 5, look at it, reminds his readers in verse 5 that they can rest securely Trusting that they, people, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last time. Just think about the power of that promise. What God has promised rests secure. We have this assurance in Christ Jesus that God's salvation over us will be protected, guarded, not just for the next couple of days, not just for the next couple of weeks, not just for the next couple of years, for eternity. There's not one of us in this room that can really adequately describe eternity. But God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So when he gives you his spirit, he will also give you rest and hope in eternity as he keeps you. It reminds me of Romans, my favorite, my favorite chapter, 
you know, in all of the New Testament, Romans 8, and it talks about nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate you from the work of God saving you. There's no heights, no depths, nothing in this world physical, nothing in this world spiritual that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you trusted in Jesus and you're a believer and he's ransomed you and saved you, justified you, made you new, adopted you, given you a new heart, you belong to him, he's filled you with his spirit, he's marked you as his own. You're not marked by broken promises. You're marked by the greatest promise keeper who will ever exist. Here's the thing. When you think about God being the great promise keeper, his promises are trustworthy. Why? You've got to ask that question. I mean, it may be easy for us in the Christian culture to go, well, I prayed a prayer. I trusted in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I believe, right? That might be the easiest part, at least, conceptually, to come out of our mouth. You know, confess Confess that he's my savior, right? The other side of that is actually internally trusting. It's having the faith and the belief that God is actually trustworthy. How do you know he's trustworthy? Well, because he's God. True. God's promise here on this, it's trustworthy. Why? Because God's promise to sustain us, to keep us, it's an unshakable promise promise because it's not based on our performance if god's promise to save you and to keep you safe until that day was based on your performance and my performance if there's any of you in this room that believes you could stand strong enough to tally up the marks enough so that god would look at your list and go well you know joe you you barely made it. I mean, yeah, sure, you trusted me that one day, but boy, from there forward, we just saw this slow growth thing where you know, the bad things here, they were just under all the good things you performed, so good job. You're in. Who was based, if his promise was based on my performance, I have no reason to trust God. So I'm not really trusting in God in the first place anyways. I'm just trusting in my performance. God's promise here is trustworthy because His promise is not based upon our performance. What's it based on? It's based on the performance of the finished work of Jesus who's crucified the cross of Calvary for our lack of performance. And then He was raised on the third day in victory over Satan's sin and the grave, leaving us with what? Assurance. Assurance of the hope of eternity in heaven. You see, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, then what do you have? You have, according to Hebrews 6.19, a sure and steadfast anchor of hope for the soul. Tattooed on my arm here, just so you all know. Tattooed on my arm simply because I walked through a season of my life where I was like, I don't know if you're going to get me out of this, Lord. I can tell you stories. There's stories behind that ink, Right? I'm sure many of you have some of the same story, too, if you're walking with the Lord. You have a way that you have marked that season of your life and said, in this season, I'm holding fast against everything crazy. I know that Jesus is going to get me through this because he's trustworthy, right? 
you can rest assured that the Spirit of the living God, if you trust in Jesus, the Spirit of the living God is living inside of you. He's guarding you from within so that you may look forward to hearing these words in the presence of your Savior in heaven. These are the words you can look forward to hearing if you trust in Him, if you're clinging to Him as your anchor. You'll hear these words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You may now enter into your eternal home. Rest. Not, not, not because your performance really was all that good, but because you held on to Jesus and he held on to you. It's a both and. We need to trust in God's unshakable promise when we are homesick, right? So as we conclude, um, as we, you know, wrap this up, um, I just want to ask you some of these questions again. And I want you to think, and I want you to let the Holy Spirit do His work in you. How many times a day do you find yourself longing for something better? How often do you uh, find yourself wishing that the, the things in your life would go back to the way that they used to be? Wishing that your lot in life would change for the better? Like, what is it that causes you to be homesick, right? When do you find yourself daydreaming about a better life? What is it that causes you to want things to go back to the way they used to be? What is it about your life that you wish would change? I'm asking those questions in multiple ways, hoping that one of them will stick, right? What is your picture of heaven? right now how do you live in this tension of not having what you want right now see there's a myriad of ways as I said at the beginning myriad of ways that this kind of homesickness shows up in our lives right marriage goes on tilt kids start rebelling and run off like crazy car breaks down finances don't stretch political party goes off its rocker sickness gets worse family member dies, friend betrays you, church lets you down. Here's the good news. The good news is in the midst of all that homesickness, all those things that create those longings and those desires inside of you, the good news is that you can find refuge. You can find strength. You can find hope at the foot of a bloody cross, in the doorway of an empty tomb, in light of eternity in heaven. I would love to invite you to just spend time there. I'd love to invite you to spend time there 54 times a day. Why wouldn't you? If you trusted in Jesus, why, why would you want to spend time anywhere else 54 times a day? See, so at the cross of Christ... In the power of the resurrection, with the light of eternity in front of you, what you can do is you can rise up and bless God. You can hold on to the anchor of living hope. You can remember your indescribable inheritance. You can trust in God's unshakable promise when you're feeling homesick. Amen? Yeah. Let me invite you guys to stand with me. Father, 
Uh, Lord, as we close down our time here, pray, Father, that you would uh, lead us to foot of the cross, doorway of the empty tomb, give us the hope of heaven, remind us that you are all we need, that you are more than enough for us. Pray, Father, that you would come and strengthen us. Help us to find those places where we laid our our hope in some other place other than you. And return our hearts back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.